expectation, adoration, faith, confidence in you, Lord. We are confident that you have chosen us to be your peculiar people here on earth, Lord, that we are here to do your will, O God. And we thank you for choosing us. We choose you back. We choose to serve you, give our full uh, attention to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So today we're going to talk about the fact that the blessing cannot be reversed. The blessing cannot be reversed. Because God has given us so many promises. And not only promises, but he backs them with an oath. Signed in the precious blood of his son. The one time offering for all of humanity. And so uh, we're (coughs) going to go back a bit though into the Old Testament. And get an understanding, you know, you get most of your knowledge about the workings of God with people uh, through the writings of the Old Testament. The New Testament is in the action of it, you know, the practical understanding of it for, for people in our times, in the, the age of the church. And so the Bible tells us that all scripture is profitable, amen, all scripture is inspired by God and that's what makes it profitable. But, you know, you need the Holy Spirit to rightly divide it. And so <clears throat> the story about Balaam and Balak is kind of an interesting story in that it has something to do with the power of the curse versus the blessing. And so we need to understand that both were spoken out of God's mouth. God has power over the blessing and the curse. So the curse doesn't just come up from the devil and you you have this battle of who's the strongest. Of course we all know that God's more powerful than Satan. Uh, if that weren't true we'd be serving Satan instead of God. You want to serve the highest power. And so if you that were true and, and if that were true the devil would be running heaven right now uh, because he planned to overthrow it. So iniquity has never been more powerful than righteousness. And because God knows that he reserves righteousness for us so that we can step back into the greater power. The greater one lives in us. The Holy Spirit uh, actually dwells in us. And so greater is he, the Bible says, who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we have the greater one dwelling in us. But people oftentimes can get uh, confused, confounded, uh, because the devil (coughs) works in such a subtle way. And don't ever play him cheap because he's a master at what he does. And we have to, uh, when we fight, talk about fighting him, we have to fight him with God's weapons, spiritual weapons, because he is a spirit. And what we have, we don't have spiritual power outside of God. Or at least we we shouldn't attempt to have it. Uh, It's not that easy to get the devil to yield his power to us. It's much easier to walk in the power of God than it is to go through all his tricks and and hoops and everything to get what little power he does have. And so, you know, you'll see people who have practiced the black arts and witchcraft for generations before they can even get an inkling of power. You understand me? And so God's power is freely given to us as a blessing to help our lives. Why? Because God's not afraid of what we're going to do with his power. The devil's always scared you're going to get ahead of him. 
He understands he doesn't want to make you too smart, too powerful, too able. He understands he keeps he's cheap. For lack of a better word. <laughs> Everybody understands cheap, don't they? Always withholding, always uh, tantalizing, always putting something out there and snatching it back. He's cheap because he's a thief and he doesn't have much of anything. He tries to make like he's got everything. You ever see people boast about their possessions? And you get to their house and they got a little teeny beat up car sitting in a beat up garage somewhere they don't even own their property they're renting from somebody but they boast of great things sometimes that's the devil he always is boasting of great things he's always pretending to have more than he does he's always you know trying to be way up there in things doesn't take much for people to get that what we call the big head or get a swelled ego a swelled head about their lives and and part of that is the enemy's influence in their thoughts and his deception there and so we we have to bring things into their right perspective we serve the God who is all powerful he's all knowledgeable uh, but yet he freely gives to his heirs that's the wonderful thing about owning anything I guess when you own everything you don't have to be cheap about anything you can be extravagant you can give uh, willingly you can give um, freely you can give abundantly and that's what he does for his children and so because he owns all things he freely gives us all things and so for that reason you can always think of the blessing as being stronger than the curse the blessing is more enduring than the curse because the blessing really is an inheritance that goes on from generation to generation so the blessing has more longevity it has staying power uh, it has uh, power to remain in your life uh, because God is in control of it and he's not quick to remove the blessing from our ch- his children's lives because he sees us as heirs you're not just getting something from him I mean he's in a good mood or some kind of emotional thing but we are heirs everything that he has belongs to us amen and so that's the good thing that's why we can be assured that's why when when Jesus said take no thought for the things of this life what you going to eat what he he really meant that you you don't have to wonder about these things he says your father has knows what you have need of already now that phrase really is what you would say to an heir you don't say to a natural person, your day if I if I told uh, uh, told um, um, uh, well, I don't know who's got a, a parent still alive. <laughs> okay, Miss Marcia, if I told you your mom knows what you have need of, that doesn't impress you. You know, because mom's over here, you're over there, you live your life, she lives her life. You understand what I'm saying? But when Jesus says your father knows what you have need of, that means something totally different as far as covenant is concerned. So when you have a covenant with the heavenly father and Jesus says he knows what you have need of, you should relax and say, oh my goodness, why am I worried? I'm an heir. If he already knows what I need, I have no worries because I am an heir. 
when when heirs when the father uh, of of heirs know what they need, then it's automatic that they provide for it. That's a given. They go to dad for all of their needs. And once dad knows their need, then it's provided for. So what Jesus is saying is your father has already made provision for what you need. And it's on the way. It's on the way. And you can get it into your life simply by believing that it's on the way. You know, He has it for you and it's being released to you. And so it's wonderful to have that relationship with God. That's why people ask God for things. They may wait until the last minute or that may be their last resort. You know, sometimes you'll see, sometimes sinners will say, well, uh, I don't want to bother God, you know. But when you're an heir, you think to yourself, bother? Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to go to him with my knees. Amen. He expects me to come. He don't expect me to go to anybody else with my knees. He expects me to come to him. See? And so that's the difference between being an heir and being somebody who's outside of the covenant. If you're outside the covenant, you don't know what God thinks about you. You're scared to wonder what he thinks. So you you just as soon go live your life, let him go stay in heaven and you not bother him and he so he don't bother you. And so that's what sinners think. That's why they'll say things like, well, I just ask God for real important things and I don't want to bother him with just this, you know, that kind of stuff. But an heir doesn't think like that. And an heir doesn't think the way he does because he's trying to get over on God, rip him off or anything. But he doesn't want to insult his father by turning his back on his covenant and trying to do things his own way. See, this is a covenant that we have that where we honor our father. We put him first. We go to him first. We seek him as the source of all things because he's told us to do that. And we're being obedient to what he's commanded us to do. You got me? So it's an obedience and honor and that type of a relationship that we go to the Father. We go to the Father also because he has already set aside the things that we need. We don't know what we need. We kind of have an idea, but we really don't know. We don't have the knowledge as far as spiritual things and as far as the inheritance is concerned. All of that stuff, we don't have total knowledge of that. And so we go to him out of respect. We go to him in love. We go to him so that we don't upset his eternal plan for our lives. Because to go to another source, really, he considers it to be uh, uh, a type of um, unfaithfulness. You know, a type of whoredom is what he called it back in the, the old covenant. It's, it's like you're taking what really belongs to him and that is you. Everything you are, everything you represent and you're offering it to another God. So you're breaking uh, covenant, you're breaking trust, you're breaking respect, you're breaking. See, Asian people understand this kind of stuff. 
because they in their culture they still have it, it's fleshy but it's still remnants of it are still a little bit pure where they don't disrespect the father they don't respect disrespect them by going other places or begging or you know lowering themselves that kind of stuff or or bowing down so to speak in worship to see that's what that that amounts to when we turn our back on God's covenant and seek our own way it's a form of worshiping another God see we've come out of worship and and lifting God up over into uh, a foreign relationship with another God and so God sees it that way and so in order for us to keep covenant we need to honor God, obey him, and look to him as our source and take no thought. Because usually if we begin taking thought for things, we'll come up with our own answer. And that's how we get ourselves into trouble with God. We start seeking another source instead of honoring him and seeking his inheritance and his source. It's almost like saying to God what he's got for us is not good enough you understand what I'm saying it's a disrespect thing but in our carnal thinking sometimes especially sinners who don't know God their carnal thinking is well I can go get this on my own well I don't need help with this you know it's a pride thing with them like if if they admit they need help with something that that means there's something wrong with them you'll hear people say these old adages God helps those who help themselves you know and all that kind of stuff and it's like you can see the fear rise up in people when you say well we'll do whatever's pleasing to God whatever God has for us as a, well God helps those you know it's a very angry response many times or it's a flippant response you know and they're trying to quote you some kind of false you know adage or something like that and there's no truth to it whatsoever you know people who help themselves usually wind up stealing from somebody you got me uh, God's not helping thieves he helps his children his heirs he helps those who put their faith and their confidence in him the more confidence we put in God the better it is for us because there's trust me there will come something in your life that you cannot master and the more you've already trusted God the easier it's going to be for you to trust him with bigger things you trust him in the small the biggies no problem it's just another thing for you to ask God to do you don't you don't really react to the size of it because it's all something that he's provided for you so if you've never really tried to bear the weight of your own burdens you don't even know what it's like to be burdened with something so you just hand it all over to God such an easy life you know uh, to do it God's way and so God wants us to know though that he does not change his mind once he has decided to bless us he does not have to change his mind because his ways are perfect you change your mind if you can make a mistake we change our minds because we are we make mistakes we're human we have weakness we have short vision we can't see everything and certainly can't know everything so we must change our minds in order to be corrected but God needs no correction so once he says something it sticks and you can try if you want to to get out from under the power of it but he won't let you every time you turn around it's more God in your face trying to do more for you it's true 
he'll get you cornered by his mercy he'll get you cornered hemmed up by his love he'll get you hemmed up by his goodness towards you so you can't you can't break this thing if you even if you want it to so God is a, a God of, of vision foreknowledge foresight God doesn't change his goodness toward us even when we're not good he has no second best to give you you know just because you you haven't been faithful with what he's given you that doesn't mean he's going to give you something substandard it's always going to be top quality always going to be top quality according to your faith this is this is what goofs it up our faith sometimes will waver and our faith will diminish based on what we think about ourselves so we got to start thinking more like god thinks just a thought just a thought you know and get in that word and see exactly what he says about you not what somebody else is saying he says but that's a mirror for you to look in for you to reflect what comes into your heart and your mind is really that's what what that's the only thing that you have to to guide your prayer and your life with you can't borrow off of somebody else's knowledge of God or borrow off of their faith to get. It has to be inside of you. That, that, that thing has to, that seed has to be planted inside of you before it can benefit your life. And so it, in the end, it will be according to what you desire and according to what you believe God for. <clears throat> so in numbers chapter 23 we wouldn't really want to talk about that passage of scripture i'm going to read it and we'll probably have to go in, into some other things and come back to it but in numbers chapter 23 starting in verse we'll do 18 he took up this parable and said rise up Balak and hear hearken unto me thou son of Zippor God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man that he should repent hath he said and shall he not do it or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good has he said and shall he not do it in other words if if he said something he's definitely going to do it he's not a man he doesn't lie he's not like you and me he's not like people and he says behold I've received commandment to bless and he has blessed and I cannot reverse it you cannot reverse God's blessing huh? you cannot reverse it God cannot reverse it that's why you can't and he says he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob neither has he seen perverseness in Israel the Lord his God is with him and the shout of the king is among them God brought them out of Egypt he had as it were the strength of a unicorn surely there is no enchantment against Jacob neither is there any divination against Israel according to this time it shall be said of Jacob of Israel what has God wrought behold the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion he shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the flame and so then Balak of course tries to bargain again in other words shut up 
<laughs> if you're not going to curse him, don't bless him. He just quit talking. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I know I hired you to talk, but shut up talking. <laughs> so, what does this mean? God, God told Balaam that he could not curse Israel. This, this prophet that was hired by Balak now uh, just to give you a little understanding this is still during the time of Moses when he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt they've come a ways through the wilderness now they're getting ready to get down to business uh, they're going, getting closer and closer to, to their promised land coming out of uh, coming close to the Jordan River and there are some settled areas and some enemy territory that they desire to pass through and so Moses sends emissaries there and wants to get permission to pass through the lands of these different tribes the first tribe they get to they don't want to let them go through and and Moses said no we're not going to go through and and take anything Uh, we're going to go through and just go down what they call the king's highway and so that was not through the fields and it wasn't through the vineyards and Moses is saying we don't need your provision we just want to pass through so we can get to to our destination they refuse to let them do it for for this reason number one they look back and saw how many people there was <laughs> so that was Israel's strength but also their their um, I guess they, you could call it a um, a, a defect so to speak whenever other nations looked at them they looked and saw this huge number of people and it was very very intimidating and so but they were living out God's promise because God's, God promised Abram he said I'll make your descendants what like the sands of the sea and like the stars in the sky you won't be able to number them for number and he starts out with, with uh, one of uh, Abraham's uh, uh, in his third generation there's Jacob that's got 12 actually more than 12 with you count his daughters I think he had some like 18 children of his own and uh, but the 12 boys you know were had a tribe that was named after them and those tribes began to grow and there were humongous numbers of people even in Moses time there was a large number of descendants of Israel and so this is something that has always plagued that people were the, were the numbers of them when they and this is the thing when you have the mark of deity on you because Israel has always been God's people you got me that that never leaves you the deity never leaves you even though they are not under the new covenant they still have remnants of the old there's remnants of the blessing of the old still over the lives of these people God's made provision for them even in this dispensation Paul talked about it he says he his prayer was for Israel that they would all be saved but he said there would still be a, a remnant left that God would preserve and that he would save we just don't know who they are so the 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 thing is most people treat them with dignity and respect and don't mess with them because they've always been set apart as God's people and so we have to and and really the, the they are a lesson for all of us to respect all of humanity any nation that's ever come against them has been totally decimated you know Germany still isn't over 
their reputation you know that kind of thing same thing with Japan they're trying to recover all of that their hand wasn't as heavy on the Jew as, as was the German but that's just always been a, a something against that, that group of individuals and that group of people and so uh, we know that, that the blessing of God cannot be removed by anything man does it's just, it's just there folks it's just there and so when we are blessed by God <coughs> we are blessed now if if we believe the old covenant you know the curse was always on the old covenant and so you see the nation of Israel come under some of that negative power but God in his mercy always raises up somebody intercede from them. that's what the Christians for you saw the Christians interceding for the Jew uh, many stories of, of Christians who would hide uh, some of the Jewish uh, people during the holocaust and their lives would be spared you see many times christians would intervene on their behalf you see it even now and so anytime we we rise up with god we'll intercede for people who are being oppressed and that includes the jew and so anyway we have this situation here where uh they are large in number they're many in number they've had some some uh, uh wars some small wars with some of the tribes that have tried to stop them from passing through their land and those people God defeated right before the eyes of the others so here we come to Balak who is a Moabite and we know the Moabite is a descendant of Lot if you remember he had when his daughters he and his daughters were the only ones left in that land of Sodom and they fled from there and the daughters were afraid that they wouldn't have any children and they got Lot drunk and produced children from their father Lot and it was the Moabite tribe they have a kinship with Israel because they're cousins amen they're fam and so they begin to turn against their not only uh, them because of God's sake but also these these people are family to them and so in, in, uh, we see in this story though Balak who is the king of Moab wants to curse Israel because he understands something about spiritual things all of the other people that they tried to, to get passage through fought them hand to hand combat and lost because they didn't know the power of their God they didn't know God would fight for them and they would have spiritual um, authority on their side Uh, at least Balak understands that so he says well let me go and find a spiritual power to come against them and I can defeat them that way he thinks that God will curse his own people but he's about to learn something about God and hopefully we learn something about God as well in this thing and so Balaam was hired to curse Israel he had cursed others before apparently it appears that he was uh, he talked about practicing divination and he said his divination did not work against uh, the one true and living God so it's apparent that he has had uh, some success in cursing people Balaam had hired him because of his uh, because of Israel's numbers because they were such a numerous people and they were a threat to him so we know that as a descendant of Moab Lot was one of uh, his ancestors and that he had a uh, kinship with the nation of Israel and should have been on their side should have been on their side Uh, much of his the wealth that the Moabites had was directly from Abraham 
because Lot had had lived with Abraham. Remember their cattle was fighting against each other's cattle. They had so much. They were so rich they couldn't even live together. And so they split up after that. So really that wealth does not belong to them really. It really came from Abraham. But still they when it gets right down to it you go from one generation to the next. They lose understanding of that kind of thing. And they see Israel as an enemy. But he has enough understanding of their God to know that he needs something more powerful than just the sword in battle to come against these people. And so in uh, if you go back to chapter 22 a little bit. Balaam begins to intercede before God to get understanding of what to do. And so because... Balaam needs to have a word that he can speak if God tells him he can't speak it he listens to God and this is something that's kind of true and kind of interesting many of people that we know as psychics think they're really communicating with God I mean with our God with the one true and living God you couldn't convince them they're talking to different spirits and they're doing witchcraft and all of that and so many of them have some type of a sense when they have bumped into God when they have heard from God there are some people that you'll see they're they're uh, activities are a mixture of paganism and some forms of Christianity that kind of stuff Uh, because there's a mixture there sometimes these people really can't hear from God you see what I'm saying and so it's 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 kind of amazing though the mercy of God to help people when they want to help people Um, there was a uh, trying to think of the story I'm trying to think where it occurred it was somewhere it wasn't close it wasn't far from like it was like Pennsylvania Ohio something like that it was a a situation where a young man was kidnapped and this kid was maybe like 12 13 or something like that and the parents were were just distraught and looking for this boy and a neighbor knew of a friend that was a Catholic lady but she was also a psychic she would you know hear from familiar spirits sometimes and so she said that she said what I did was I prayed and I asked in Jesus name for this boy to be found and they found exactly where the kid was you understand what I'm saying so God looks and you think of the mercy of God and like with us we don't want to have anything to do you know I don't even want to try to understand how that happens you know because Uh, it's not for me to totally understand but I do understand the mercy of God and I do understand prayer and I do understand that maybe if the prophets of God myself included were more likely to really want to help these people we could come up with the answer because God knows you understand but we don't like getting involved in that kind of stuff because it's dirty already because the psychics are doing it you see what I'm saying and so we're kind of afraid to even petition God to want to know you know that kind of stuff and lead people get involved in that end of it and lead people to it so you know our prayers always will God 
release the kid let him show up you know that kind of stuff we kind of don't want to get real involved in it just let me be anonymous God just let me do my prayer thing and I don't want to step out and do that but I think it's it's totally right to want to be the person to tell them exactly where their child is because if that were you you want somebody to step up and do their best to tell you that kind of thing so it's not unusual then for Balaam to be able to hear from God even though he's a diviner and even though he works in familiar spirits apparently now we don't have a history of that but we have some understanding from his later words that he is experienced that way God bless you so anyway in uh, 22 in verse 12 he says God says to Balaam you shall not go with them in other words you cannot go with Balak's people you shall not curse the people too late they're already blessed God says they are blessed they are blessed you came too late to the party these people are already blessed whenever the devil tries to do give you trouble he's already come too late to the party because you are already blessed God will not reverse it he cannot he has no desire to reverse it no desire to reverse the blessing once it's conferred it's conferred so he's not a man that he should lie he's not the son of man that he should change his mind repent and want to do something different or want to lift that blessing off your life and now all of a sudden start to curse you he don't roll like that he doesn't have to doesn't have to being a blessed person is all puts you in a different position altogether in life when you're blessed under the new covenant you are an heir of all things now when you all things all things if you're ignorant you're the heir of knowledge to overcome your ignorance huh if you're you're lacking in wisdom you're an heir of wisdom of God to overcome so if you're an heir of all of that what is it that would make God want to curse you after all you can you can receive wisdom if, if your your problem is you're always messing up when God gives you something to do you got ADD or whatever it is you don't know how to pay attention long enough to get instruction if you're the heir of all things you're an heir of a good mind to be able to retain what God gives you so that you can operate in wisdom operate in knowledge you got me you're the heir of understanding if you lack understanding and that causes you to goof up all the time if you you if your eye wanders and you lust for for things people whatever it is that you lust for you're the heir of the fruit of the spirit you have self-control so that you can can overcome these things you just need to tap into it you need to know that that's what you need and tap into your inheritance so why would God throw you away if he's already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness he knows what he's doing he's not throwing us in the penalty box because we didn't do something right you're the heir of understanding that means he he has to teach you the right way he says that that 
Jesus said to come and, and, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Yoke up with Jesus and learn of him. He's leading you into these things and counseling you at the same time and giving you understanding of, of things. So why would God curse us and throw us away if he's got all this invested in us? People don't do that. You know, people don't throw away their children. Unless there's something wrong with them. Usually people do dumb stuff, can't get over themselves. It's not the kid they're mad at. They've got some iniquity in themselves they can't get over. But God's pure and he's holy. He makes us holy. So he's not going to throw away anything that he's made holy. You got me? He's not going to do it. So what we need to, to do is understand what he's telling this, this prophet here. This man has power to curse people. And God says you can't use it here. You can't use it. And so he told Balaam you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and he said to the princes of Balak. Uh, get you into your, into your land for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. He said just go back where you came from you know. So they rose up and went back to Balak. And Balak said better guys. He always ups his wager against us. See, if if plan A doesn't deceive us, then he sends plan B to talk a little bit more our language to deceive us. It's always true. If one person can't influence us to do wrong, then the devil will send another person to to influence to do wrong. You know, he'll, you know I, I say he starts with the cheap stuff because he's cheap. Yeah. Let's see if he'll go. See if he can get us to go cheap. If he can't get us to go cheap, then he'll bring out something a little more expensive. You know, many times if 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 the enemy can, he'll use a friend to deceive us or try to draw us off. He's always doing that. You know, he changes, gets us into an atmosphere where we can be. Turned around real easily. If the friend don't work, then he'll go to a family member, somebody we respect, or somebody has more authority or influence with us. That kind of stuff. He always does that. So don't be don't be shocked. You know. Oh well, you know, my kids don't want to come to church with me. Don't be shocked. Huh? Don't be shocked because that's common. And don't pal up with them. You understand what I'm saying? You keep going to church. Because <laughs> that's the whole thing. Yeah. God, I mean, the, the enemy wants to stop you from going. That's why he puts protest up there. So if he can get enough people to protest against you, enough people you care about. Right. Huh? No. Sometimes people, family, you know, resistant family, that's easy. Then, then you have Christian friends. Those are the sneaky ones. You know, when they start derailing themselves and then you still want to keep friendship with them, you know. Try harder with them than you do obedient people. Something's wrong. So, you know, you just have to, have to understand the enemy's after us all the time to pull us away from God. So he's always up in the stakes here. He said in verse 15, he said more. More honorable than they. In other words, he's had more influence. In other words, 
Balaam could be associated with this group of bishops. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if he can pull you off again and get this new group of bishops in there. So he says, <clears throat> and then Balaam tells him, well, don't let anything keep you from coming to me. I'll promote you with very great honor. I'll do whatever you say to me. Come, I pray you, curse these people for me. And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold. For God put this understanding on the inside of him. Amen. Uh, you know, if Christians could think like that. We don't think like that. Many times we don't. We sell out for, for what we think is, is a higher platform to speak to more people. But we're not speaking what God tells us to speak. We're speaking what we think we ought to speak. Now everybody does this. You know, to a degree. Play to an audience. Dumb it down a little bit. We don't want to tell people that they they should pray in tongues and it's a gift of God. You know, that I've seen some of them start out that way. Trying to get people to understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then they back away from it. And they just give them the basics, you know, over and over and over again. And then we look at people that really need a touch from God and there's no believers to send who are equipped to help people to do anything. Why? Because they're all pinned up in these places and they don't know anything about praying in tongues. They don't know anything about the gifts of God. They don't know anything much about anything except how to get their bills paid. And they've been being taught that for like 60 years. You know, and my parents taught us how to pay our bills when we were kids. Don't do what we do. That's how you learn. Huh? Isn't that the truth? And parents that didn't do pay the bills right and always were broke, don't do what we did. You get out there, you start making money, you save your money, you know? So you might be used learning it in the reverse, but at least they told you the truth about it. So we all know how to pay our bills. You know you know how to use the word to expect God to provide for you. We know all that stuff. It's, it's not that important, but what we need is to be empowered to make an impact against sin that's got humanity in bondage. Got me? And that's what the enemy wants to take away. And I see that all over this story. Compromise. I'll give you this. I'll promote you. I'll put you up. I'll send more people more honorable than these. You didn't come with me. You didn't accept my invitation to preach at my church. But I'll send you. I'll put you up at this hotel. I'll put you up at that hotel. I was thinking about that, you know, all the, now now everybody wants to get involved in the live stream, you know, now that that's available, where you can preach and have your preaching go live to several, several different locations. And I know there's some churches using that. Don't they have ministers? They have satellite churches, and the main guy preaches, and he, it's, you know, given live by video think about all the the people that said they had to have airplanes because they had to go all over you understand what I'm saying it's kind of like well we can take the airplane money do something else with that now 
and just invest in our little you know everybody's got a cell phone or a tablet or something to look at it and just one big video screen there it's amazing what God does to economize things it's amazing what he does he doesn't want his people to be burdened with things like that you know it's it's a burden having to buy somebody airplane and then pay for somebody maintain it and all that kind of stuff I know what it's like just doing vehicles and buildings you know uh, so we we have to be wise in these things but I know the technologies like been around the corner I mean it's always been available even if you you couldn't do it live you could always do it with a video you know or something like that they're doing the same thing almost and so it's it's amazing though what God will do to take that burden off of people you know for many years we we paid for plane tickets for the minister and associates and all these people got a free ride and we knew they weren't necessary for their ministry it was just the thing for everybody to do to put a burden on the church that was they did it competing with one another you know they got their people going and they pay for it so they need to pay for me too you know this has got to really be um it was just very distasteful sometimes you just really didn't look forward to having to talk to some people because you knew the the stuff they were going to give you and um i just decided one day i said you know what lord find us some people who aren't going to do that let's find us some people who aren't going to do that because i got tired of it but i think god's tired of it too because now he's made a way for you not even have to bring people from a distance you know I mean unless you just really want to see them but you can really be a little more selective in the way that you do those things so I I think it's wonderful I think it's going to bring a lot of freedom to the church and and keep money where it's supposed to be instead of just squandering it you know just because somebody feels they're worth it you know that kind of thing so keep us all out of sin but Balaam Balak decides he's going to promote him more Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak and Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold I can't go beyond the word of God huh? <laughs> to do less or more now therefore I pray you stay here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more and so <clears throat> Balaam then gets himself into a little bit of confusion you know he, he starts going with these people but God doesn't want him to go and God has to talk to him some more so we have that in incident where his donkey begins to speak the word of God because the donkey can see a little bit better than he can so there's a work God's doing in this prophet as well to convince him that God is a God that he should serve God's always looking to convince people to serve him so we can't be um, frustrated with the process we can't um, you know get involved in these things and then want to control them because we don't like the direction it's going you just have to get in there and let ride it out with God and know that if God's involved it's going to work out and so here you see Balaam and, and you know he's he's you know uh, uh, getting ready to go with these men and he gets hindered and then the angel of the Lord begins to speak to them and so uh, in when we come over to, to chapter 23, God has already convinced Balaam that he is not to curse these people because they are blessed. Every time Balak 
presses Balaam to say something, he blesses the people even more. And so every time the enemy tries to curse us, if we will stay with God, the blessing increases on us just for withstanding the power of the enemy against us. God rewards us for our faithfulness and our stand. Amen. He says he will increase if you are faithful with him. He will increase what he does for you. So if he, uh, he, Balaam resists speaking against the people of God. He does it for his own good, but also if he does pronounce the curse, God's not going to honor it in any way. So God reiterates his instructions to him, and then Balaam repeats what God has said. He's being obedient to God, and that's what God is teaching him, to learn how to be obedient to his words. So in Numbers 23 verse 7, we see Balaam's uh, response to Balak. And he, in verse 5, <coughs> in verse 4 it says, and God met Balaam and he said to him, I have prepared seven altars and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram and the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said return to Balak and thus shall you speak and he returned to him and lo he stood by his burnt sacrifice he and all the princes of Moab and he took up his parable and said Balak the king of Moab had brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east saying come curse me Jacob and come defy Israel now Balak has really uh, Balaam has really traveled quite a distance to get there and this is something that's interesting about spiritual forces the devil doesn't care how far he has to go to get a devil to interfere with your life but he will send someone to interfere with your life if he can there have been people uh, and I see it happening more and more because of the prominence of the internet where where you will see people that uh, um, you know they set up these stings for on the websites where they'll have somebody on there like a police officer on there imitating a young child to lure get smoke these people out and you'll see <laughs> some guy well, where did you come from what what oh, i drove all night to get here all night where'd you come from you know like from 12 hours distance just to get in somebody's house with that child because they assume the parents are out. It's just amazing how the devil calls upon. And he's calling these spiritual forces into these kids' lives to mess them up. Because they know that they'll, the devil knows who will carry out his orders and who won't do it. But in this case with Balaam, he was totally mistaken. Because he got involved with God's people. I love it. When when we see the devil get involved with God's people. Or you get involved with people who pray. Or you get involved with people who will take that stand for God. I love it. Because they get confounded every single time. Got me? That man that uh, abducted that little boy. And he sang that song. That song drives me nuts. You know, because it, it, you know, the little hook goes on and on and on and on and on, and I guess after three hours, the guy released the kid because he said, "I can't stand that song any longer." 
And so, you know, it's it's one of those situations. But it's amazing how far the devil will call for his forces. He will always call somebody that he knows that he can put his trust in or who will follow his orders. But he gets confounded this time. So where were we in verse 30, in verse 7? I'm sorry. Um, and he took up this parable. Balak, the king of Moab, brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east saying come curse me Jacob come defy Israel how shall I curse whom God has not cursed how shall I defy whom the Lord has not defied for from the top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him in other words he's had an encounter with God all of this stuff is so that every single person in the situation will know God is God that's the one thing I love about reading the Old Testament it becomes real clear to you that God is not singling out his people and leaving everybody else out but God wants everybody to have a revelation of him See, he works through his people but he wants other people to know him as well and that's the when David fought Goliath, he said that that the whole earth will know that the living God does not does not uh, save with a sword and a spear, but with the power of God, and that they will know that there's a God in Israel. That was always what they wanted to to be made clear. So he says, "I see him everywhere." And he said, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who, In other words, these people that God has, has called out for himself will always be God's people. They won't be considered, they're a holy people, they're a different people, they're a set apart people. They won't, they're, these are not ordinary people. In other words, I've cursed some people before in my life and these people are not like them. And he says, they're not going to be reckoned among the, or counted in with the other nations of the world he said who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel he said let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his and Balak said to Balaam who is who has what have you done unto me he said I took you to curse your mine enemies and behold you will bless them all together and he answered and said must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord has put in my mouth Now this is the odd thing about psychics and all that kind of stuff. When they bump into God, they will obey him. It's almost like they're looking for God but don't know how to find him. I mean, that's pretty much true for most of them. You talk to them, they they say, I have this gift and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Their heart is kind of tender toward God but they like sin too and they like money. You know what I'm saying. They like all that corrupt stuff, you know we ain't that far off sometimes you know what I'm saying we got those in our ranks that have the same stuff in their hearts sometimes too but we have a covenant with God God said must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord have put in his in my mouth Balak said to him come I pray thee with me unto another place from whence you may see them in other words now here he goes and this is the trick of the enemy he wants to influence our minds so that we see things the way he sees them we have the same fears about things that they have sometimes people see you serving God and 
then they want to tell you their story and they want to make an exception you know I have a reason for why I'm living the way they're not serving God like you are but they got a good reason for it see all of this comes to water down our concept of serving God See, you can never have a conversation with anybody without it having some some element of warfare in it. They've, they've got their position, you've got your position. And if you can't lock into agreement with them and they've got something else that they want to promote or something they talk about, they're going to want to leave that conversation having convinced you to come over more to where they are. People always want us to understand why they don't come to church as often or why they don't give like they should or why they don't obey or why they got to go home early all the time or why they can't do this or why they can't do that. Always excusing themselves to see if they can influence you to give them a pass. You hold on to your position in God. You understand me? Don't you let go of what God's put in your heart to do for him. Don't you get wishy-washy and want to understand people all the time. People don't need understanding. They need to obey God. If you can obey God, everybody can. You know, there are a few exceptions, but people shouldn't feel good about it. Like they're doing the right thing and you're doing the wrong thing because you obey. When you give your money to God, you'll have work when they won't. You understand what I'm saying? You'll have promotion when they don't. And you hold on to doing the right thing. You know, don't you don't have to compromise in your conversation. You make sure what you speak. Listen, if this old prophet divinator or whatever he called himself can do it and not speak anything against God's word, we can do it too. You can hold fast to the word of the Lord. I don't care who it is that wants you to compromise and water down what you say and what you do. If you're you're being obedient to God, you shouldn't feel bad about it. You need to declare it, shout it from the housetop, speak it up, say it louder. Because that's what he wants him to do. You see, you come up here and look at what I'm looking at. Let me show you something. I'll influence you to talk like I want you to talk. All your conversations will be like that, trying to understand people. Pray for them. You know, pray for them. If they once obeyed God, they need to continue to obey God. If they've never obeyed God, they need to obey Him. You're over on the side of blessing. And you need to speak blessing over your life at all times. Get yourself your mind watered down and trying to understand people and all this kind of nonsense. It's foolishness. Disobedience has its own reward, folks. There's no reward. That blessing is still sitting waiting for people, for them to get obedient so they can get it. Your faith won't work in disobedience. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care who you get in agreement with. I don't care. It won't work in disobedience. So he tries to get him into a different atmosphere and a different frame of mind. Come and look at what I'm looking at. This will convince you. I can't fight all these people. Are you kidding me? I need some help, brother. You you have the power to help me. Just come over here and look at this so you can see what I see. 
They brought him up to the field at top of Pisgah and built seven altars, offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. He said to Balak, stand here by the burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. That's always your safety net. You meet with God where you've always met him. You can't meet with him listening to people's excuses and lies and trying to cover up their failure. And the Lord met him and put a word in his mouth. <laughs> said, go again to him and tell him what I tell you to tell him. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable. He said, rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken to me, you son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. In other words, God's revealing himself more and more to these people. This is a revelation the Christian needs about God. Sometimes we believe all kind of flaky things about God. Oh, God understands. Oh, God loves the homosexual. He does. He loves everybody. He created everybody. He people don't create things they don't love. But He doesn't like what they do he can't condone it he can't take them to heaven in it this is just all wrong see the thing of it is what people want to do is get us off of our position of witnessing if we can have this debate as to whether we agree with that or not we stay in the debate of of man's understanding and we never do obedience to God God says tell them Jesus loves them and he will forgive Give their sins if they will repent and turn their lives over to him. Just turn your life over to God. He didn't tell you you got to stop on your own. He didn't tell you you got to do it. Just turn your life. Just trust him and turn your life over to him once and for all. You miss the gospel by getting involved in the debate. He says, God's not a man that he should lie. Neither he's a son. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't have to repent. He doesn't have to change this. He doesn't have to do. He don't roll like that. I don't know exactly how he rolls in all things, but I can tell you this. He don't do that. Now, this is one thing that's clear that I know about God. He says, has he, has he spoken and he won't make it good? What did God tell you he's going to do in your life? He told you that. Isn't he going to make it good? And isn't he going to increase on the goodness of it? Is there no limit to his goodness to you? So God reiterates his word to him. And his instructions to him. He just keeps coming with it and keeps coming with it. He says who can override God? He said nobody can override him. So he blesses Israel again. He says, he has not beheld iniquity. That's the only ground God has to curse. Beholding iniquity. He has not beheld it in Jacob. Hmm, wonder why. We all do things wrong. We all, he has not beheld that in you. Huh? Because he chooses not to. It's his choice not to. 
It's his choice to believe that he can help you with that and that you can overcome it. And he's not looking. When you say he's not beheld iniquity in Jacob, that means he ain't looking for that. He's looking for goodness. He's looking for the blood. He's looking for his covenant. He's looking for what he's done for us. Amen. When God brought Egypt out of Israel, they came out in covenant. It was not you do good this one time and when you're bad again I drop you. That's not a covenant. Huh? That's not a covenant. God made provision for them to keep relationship with them even when they sinned. That's covenant. You got me? So there's provision for them to keep relationship with him even when they sin. He leads them to the provision for it instead of cursing them and dropping them and starting all over again. All he needs is an intercessor and he won't do that. Didn't he say he was going to kill everybody and Moses fell on his face and said, Oh God, don't do that. Huh? God was, Moses would get more like God and didn't even know it. Hmm? God knew Moses was going to pray for those people. Of course he did. He's testing Moses. He said Moses is the meekest man on the face of the earth. Had that not been true, Moses would have let God kill all those people and just take him off by himself with God. But in his humility, he identified as a priest over those people with their weakness. And he said, God, please give them another chance. Don't do that, Lord. Give them another chance. You've got a covenant with these people. You brought them out of Egypt under the blood. You brought them out under covenant. Hmm? <laughs> In Exodus 19, let me turn there real quick, where it shows you the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Nineteen, starting in verse one, I think it's one through six. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They were departed from Rephidim. They came to the desert of Sinai. Verse three. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. His covenant doesn't mean doing his word without a mistake. Keeping his covenant means that when you sin, know you have an advocate with the Father. Confess your sin. Make the offering. They came out under the law. They had holy days to keep and feasts to keep. And they kept those things. Got me? They kept those. And so when they kept covenant with God, he kept covenant with them. So that's when he looked at Jacob. He didn't find iniquity in him. 
It wasn't that God was saying what everything they do is okay, but he had a covenant to cover what they did that was wrong. They were delivered by the blood of the Lamb. That blood that was over the doorpost is what delivered them. And that blood kept them from till the next time they shed blood for sins. The covenant we have, that blood keeps us eternally. We don't have to keep shedding it over and over again. So they had a covenant to obey under the law. The law of sacrifices and ordinances. As long as those sacrifices and ordinances were kept, God's covenant was enforced. So he could not curse them. He had to bless them. And God was the only one who knew if they were keeping it to his satisfaction. So he wasn't going to listen to a man who wanted them cursed instead. So they received forgiveness of sins and covering for sins. David said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are covered. He said, God does not change his mind or make mistakes. And he moves in perfection and can mercifully deal with us when we sin. In mercy, he reminds us that conviction comes so you will confess it. He said, when you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So when he looked at Jacob and Israel, he saw cleansed people. He did not see iniquity. And he wasn't looking for iniquity. He looks for righteousness in his people. He looks for an opportunity to bless us. So God does not change his mind or make mistakes. He moves in perfection. And he can mercifully deal with us when we sin. So Balaam's unable to argue with God. So he must do what God says. He can't find the words huh? to come against God. He really can't. So he has to do what God says. He, has, he cannot argue with him. So he has to do what he says. He can't afford to have God against him or to fight with God. And he knows that. He got a small taste of God's power when that donkey had him hemmed up in that little road. And the angel of the Lord came and spoke to them. So he's being convinced more and more that the almighty God is God over Israel. Now this is where he get, we get understanding of God's unchanging word. We get it through this example right here. That God will not, cannot, has no interest in reversing the blessing that he places on his people. Has no interest in doing this. So <clears throat> Balak looks for a loophole to get Balaam to curse the people and he can't find one. He even has a change of venue. You know how they do when they have trials and they think people are too prejudiced against their defendant. They say, well, let's get a change of venue. You go there and the people still hear the evidence the same. You know what I'm saying? So you wind up with the same verdict. We need to understand that Israel is God's heir. If you go back to Numbers 23 and verse 20. He says, I have received commandment to bless, and he has blessed. I cannot reverse it. That means that you have yours as an heir. That means that it goes on to descendant after descendant. So because Israel is God's heir, their inheritance in God is incorruptible. 
See, and, and if you have a natural inheritance, that money runs out at some point. Or one of the heirs will get in there and goof it up and there's nothing left for the ones after them. Our inheritance is incorruptible. That blessing is on our life throughout eternity. It can't be used up. It can't be squandered. It can't be wasted. It just increases and increases and increases generation after generation after generation. And it can't be changed. It can't be altered no matter what you do. Your inheritance is based on many factors that only God has the understanding of. He knows what you're called to do. He knows when you're going to step into different aspects of your calling. He knows what wisdom you need, what understanding you need, what favor you need, what blessing you need, what employment you need. He knows all of that stuff. And that's all been set aside for you. So you're not going to find out if you have something. You're going out in confidence that you're going to receive what he's already set aside for you. This isn't an if situation, folks. He's not making it up as he as you go along. That thing that God blessed you with that was such a shock to you, he had that sitting up for you already waiting for you to get to the point of release of that thing so he could put it into your life. His riches are in glory. That's why we have no inkling where they are, how much they are, when they're coming, none of that stuff. So we have an inheritance. You can't be inherited one day and be disinherited the next. Not with God. You can't be in the will one day and out of the will the next. God will find a way to get you right back in there so that you can have good standing with him to receive what you need from him. So when God speaks to man, he is blessing him. It cannot be revoked. So don't try to reverse it or deny it. In verse 21, God is with them. It says, he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen perverseness in Israel. Hmm? Why? Because he's not looking for it. Because it's not there. Because he took care of it already through the blood of the lamb that was slain. That lamb that they, that they killed before they left Egypt. That covers them. That takes care of them. And the sacrifices and the laws that he instituted with Moses. That does the rest of it. As long as they keep those, they keep covenant with him. And so when God has a covenant with us, we are not, uh, we are not outside of it, but he is with us in it. In verse 21 it says, He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. The shout of the king is among them. In other words, God is right in the midst of these people. And he's already in the battle, in the battle foray with them. Thank you, Jesus. I had something I was going to share with you. Okay, this, I had a little, little excerpt here. I'm going to read it to you because it talks about the royalty of Jesus Christ. The fact that the king is in the midst of them as everywhere they go out, he's right in the midst of them. Now, they're not aware of it. When they're aware of God, it's either the, the fire over the tent. Remember that? The fire that kept them warm at night. And then the, then the rock that moved and provided water for them. 
them and all that kind of stuff and he was with them at the tent of meeting that was one place he was with them but but Balaam reveals that there's another aspect of God that is with these people at all times and it's the king the shout of the king he hears the voice of the king of kings and lord of lords hovering over these people in the battle so as he goes closer to try and get a word from God for these people this is what's revealed to him so every time Balak is trying to get him to look at the number of the people and curse them come here see what I see and and Balaam goes over to God to hear what he has to see he sees something totally different than this man who is looking in the natural seas among them and so he sees the voice and the shout of the king that is with them there are three royalties of Christ number one is divine royalty in John 1 it talks about him being with God in the beginning so he's the the eternal and infinite God so he has number one divine royalty number two he has royalty with the nation of Israel he has Jewish royalty he is the son of David on both sides on Mary's side he's the son of David and on Joseph's side he is the son of David so he is the son or descendant of Abraham Isaac and Jacob when people said son of David have mercy on me they are talking about his kingly inheritance over the people of Israel in other words say like when the the uh, lepers would say Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me they're talking to a king when they say that they're talking to the highest power earthly power over the Jewish nation that they can call upon that's higher to them than the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have a priesthood you see what I'm saying they are seeing him more as royalty when they address him as son of David have mercy on it that's the highest level they can go to to talk to anybody to help them on the earth so it's really a legal petition they're making to Jesus when they do that and they feel that when they get to the king then he can command the priest he can command any level the prophet anybody else that they need to uh, get favor from to follow through on that favor so he has a royalty that comes from natural humanity but he also has a battlefield royalty and this is where Balaam saw him as the lord of hosts and commanding over the armies he was the lord of the armies he's the same remember when Joshua saw a man and he asked him are you for me or for our adversaries he says oh no I'm neither one of y'all he says I'm the captain of the army of the Lord and so whenever this captain of the host or captain of the army of the Lord was with them he has royalty over the battlefield and that's what Balaam saw every time he got up to try to curse these people and say you can't do it Balak you can you can overtake these poor Israelites I've cursed him and he saw the king of glory riding with these people in his battlefield royalty that's where he says the shout of the king go charge 
<laughs> you got it? So that's what he saw every time he tried to curse these people. That's why he shut his mouth and didn't say anything against him. Huh? There was nothing they could say against him. So when they talk about the shout of the king in the midst of the battle, he's the highest authority out there. Now many kings didn't go out to battle with their people. David got into trouble when he refused to go out to the battle with the rest of the men. He should have been out there. But many times they sat on the sidelines because you didn't want to risk the life of the highest authorities. And sometimes they would go out in front of the men. But just the shout of the king spurring the people on to battle was enough to assure victory for most nations and most people. They they weren't under another ruler. So here the shout of the king is with his people so Jesus with his kingly authority on all three levels heaven earth under the earth then is able to subdue every enemy that would ever stand before his people I wish people of God would get to really understand that. You know, when we when we started out teaching on spiritual warfare, there you know very few people wanted it. It's always true. Very few people want to understand it. Very few people want to study it. We all want victory, but we don't want to get down to the nitty gritty and have to understand these things and know what to do and know how to to trust God uh, and stand against adversaries. Christians are good for wanting to compromise, want to just be nice people and lay down and die. And so when we talk about coming through for God, you've got to understand he's with you as you go out to battle. But he's looking for people to take a stand so that he can be out in the battlefield with them. See, even if he has to get a false prophet and a diviner. To pronounce the blessing and let these assure his people that he is with them. After this, Israel and everybody else should have been convinced that no foe would be able to stand before them all the days of their lives. They would have to be convinced of this. Everybody's convinced of this after after it's it's done. So I'm, I'm going to read you a couple of translations of this scripture because it's when I first saw it, I was thinking, I says, no, it's what, what, what you know, it's kind of hard to understand what the shout of the king really means. Verse 22: God brought them out of Egypt. He has, he has as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob neither is any divination against Israel in other words this is a generational blessing when you see nothing against Jacob nothing against Israel that means that for generations this thing passes on to each person amen he said behold the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift himself up as a young lion he shall not lie down but eat the prey and drink the blood of the slain and so what he's saying is when their king is with them they have all authority and all power now the living new living translation uh translates that verse 21 there's no misfortune is in his plan for jacob in other words god has not planned any misfortune for jacob and no trouble is in store for israel that's you and me there's nothing there's no misfortune planned for you there's no trouble in store for us for the Lord their God is with them he has been proclaimed their king new American standard he has not observed misfortune in Jacob in other words he doesn't see that in us he doesn't foresee that for us 
nor has he seen trouble in Israel why because he looks at us in covenant he's not looking at us in just behavior or just momentary activities or he looks at us in covenant folks and it's not that he's exonerating anybody who's guilty but let me tell you something once your heart's been changed by God and his son's life lives in you that life to God is much more important than what you do wrong it's much more important than see if, if the backslider could understand that he'd get over his backsliding you know if the people who who don't serve God because they're offended about something then they're embarrassed to go and apologize if they understood that they get up and quit see they never got a good understanding of it from the beginning you got me because they like playing games and being religious well it catches up with you one day all your religious game playing and, and not having it in your heart right God is a God who looks at the heart he's not looking at nonsense your heart's been converted you're, you're not a hard hearted person he's, your heart's been converted he's not willing to throw you away so he said he's not observed misfortune in Jacob he's not seen trouble in he don't see trouble for you the new international standard version he has not responded to the iniquity in Jacob hmm even if he could see it he hasn't responded to it because it's dealt with in covenant it's not an issue he's already he's accepted his atonement already the Lord his God is with them and the triumphant cry of the king is among them that's what Balaam heard he heard the triumphant cry of the king while they were out on the battlefield he knew God wasn't going to turn this around God's word translation he doesn't want any trouble for the descendants he doesn't desire any trouble for the descendants of Jacob he sees no misfortune for the people of Israel the Lord their God is with them praised as their king there is no idol in Jacob neither is there an image of God to be in other words they're not serving another God the fact that you made a mistake doesn't mean that you've turned away from God and is serving. That's what he's looking at. You're not serving another God. You're not seeking another God. You've made a mistake serving the God that you serve. So that's why he doesn't reverse the blessing on us. The Lord is God is with him. The sound of the victory of the king is in him as well. So there's no generational trouble for us what did your parents have what kind of illness runs through your face it doesn't matter there's no he hasn't seen any iniquity in Jacob he doesn't count anything against Israel there's no generational trouble coming for us he only sees the blessing with long life he will satisfy us show us his salvation that means he'll take care of our health and he'll take care of our trouble so he takes care of everything for his people because he can't reverse what he's put on us folks cannot reverse it will not reverse it shall not reverse it 
should make us want to serve him all the more, folks. Should energize us to serve him all the more. Okay, why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for understanding, for blessing us according to your holy word. And we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We lift you up, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised and adored. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And praise God. Amen, 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 amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you. Praise God.